Good morning, everyone. It's really good to be with you today. Um, some of you might know that it's now the summer holidays, and we are starting a new teaching series here at Riverside House, which is going to take us through the summer holidays. Um, and the teaching series is called Old Fashioned Postures for a Brave New World. And we're going to be looking at one particular um, little passage at the end of 1 Timothy. And I um, can definitely relate to that title. I think so many times I've stumbled across passages in the Bible um, and they seem difficult to understand or outdated or the language is a bit odd. And it can just be very tempting to skip right on over them. But hopefully what we'll discover um, this summer is the value in taking a bit of a closer look and discovering some of those hidden treasures that we can find, in particular in this passage. And the verse I've actually been given to sum up this talk, it's not even a full verse, it is the first half of chapter 6, verse 11. And it says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. So it's not a lot to go on. Right. And for me, I don't know about you, but it, it makes me think a little bit of Lord of the Rings. I kind of have a picture of Gandalf standing on a bridge in a big cave, telling some hobbits to run away. Maybe I'm just showing my age there, but um, don't worry if you don't understand that reference. Um, but it's clear that we're going to need a little bit of context in order to get to grips with what this has to say to us today. So let's take a little step back. This letter, the book of 1 Timothy, um, was written to Timothy by the famous apostle Paul. Um, now, Timothy was in Ephesus, where Paul had taught um, for several years before moving on to other places. And um, Paul's teaching had been really effective. So there were um, church groups and Christian groups springing up all over the place. And part of Timothy's job was to help oversee these groups and help train up new local church leaders. And this letter to Timothy contains loads of advice on how to um, choose the right leaders and train them, as well as um, tips on his own personal leadership as well. And as we explain, uh, explore what Paul is talking to Timothy about um, and telling him to flee from, we might recognize that these can be particular weaknesses that leaders can face, um, but it's also something we all need to be aware of because we can all be susceptible to these no matter who we are and what context we find ourselves in. So having set the scene a little bit, we're just going to flick back a few verses in uh, 1 Timothy to discover what it is that Paul is telling Timothy to flee from. I'm just going to read uh, from 1 Timothy 6 verses 2 through to 11, verse 11. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain." But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you... Man of God, flee from all this. 
So you might have picked up from this passage um, that there are kind of two main things Paul is highlighting here. Um, I'm going to call them, number one, an over-reliance on our own minds, and number two, an over-reliance on our own pockets. If you are making notes on the worksheet today, it might say um, contrarian and consumer on there, but that's what I'm referring to. It's just a different way of describing it. Um, So starting with number one, an over-reliance on our own minds or our own thought life, if you like. Just looking back at the first half of that passage, um, it doesn't paint necessarily a very pretty picture of what is going on in Ephesus. And I think this passage has got a lot to teach us today about how we handle our thoughts and our beliefs. Paul says that we need to align ourselves really closely to Jesus, to what he said and to what the Bible says, to godly teaching, or we're going to be heading down a slippery slope that leads to all sorts of trouble, including quarrels, um, suspicions, friction, etc. Part of this is about aligning ourselves with the truth of God's word, i.e. making sure we've got the right ideas and we're not following any kind of false teaching, false ideas about God. So simply on that, let's just be people who love our Bibles, right? Who keep diving back into it to discover what Jesus has to say about our lives. If you find that tricky, you might want to read it together with a life group, or you might want to use an app like Bible in a Year or Lectio 365. Um, But also on that, I would challenge you, whoever you are and however long you've been a Christian, to just go directly to the Bible itself as well. Um, You could start with one of the Psalms or one of the Gospels. Open your Bible, ask God to speak to you through his Holy Spirit and just see what happens. I, I know that sometimes God's spoken to me really remarkably in ways when I've just gone straight to the Bible without any kind of intermediary. So that's the false teaching side of things. But also, as well as that, I think there's another warning in here about um, the way our attitude to our thought life and the way we handle our beliefs And when we look at our culture today, we can see so many divisions at play sometimes, can't we? We can be really tribal in society. We flock towards those who are like us. And if we're feeling particularly British, um, we just shy away from those we disagree with. Or we might even try and tear them down. Social media can be an amazing tool for building community and bringing us together. But it can also put us into vacuum chambers where there's trouble in store for anyone who disagrees with the rest of the group. And it's so easy to get sucked into these debates and arguments as well. And I think we really need to watch our motivation in this. Paul warns that we can have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels. So I would just ask, are we entering into these conversations and commenting on them in order to be light in the darkness, as we're called to be? Or are we just getting ready to pick up the next stone? Are we, do we enjoy being in the right a little bit too much? Are we tempted to sit in the seat of judgment over other people because we disagree with them? When it becomes about us, about getting our point across, or about winning that argument, I think that's when we start getting into a bit of trouble. Brenny Brown said, what we know matters, but who we are matters more. And Jesus, who had all the right answers, right? He wasn't out to humiliate people who didn't disagree with him. He didn't talk behind their backs. Jesus stood up for what he believed in. He showed passion and commitment, but as well as uh, love and gentleness, it's kind of it's that picture, isn't it, that we get from Scripture of the lion and the lamb. And, and how can we be courageous in our beliefs and yet humble in how we share them with other people? 
If we're going to handle ourselves with dignity and draw people into the church, as Jesus did, we need to hold our ideas with grace and compassion, standing up for what we believe in, but also honouring other people by listening to what they have to say. And I think this applies inside the church as well as outside as well. We're a big church here at Riverside. We're a diverse church. And amongst us will be a range of beliefs, whether that's about politics or local road networks or nuances in how we interpret certain biblical passages or opinions about how the Sunday service is run. In all these areas, let's let Jesus dictate our direction of travel. Let's read our Bibles and let them inform our ideas and have the attitude of Jesus in our conversations and discussions with one another. Secondly, Paul addresses this other issue in the church, which I've described as an over-reliance on our own pockets or our own finances. And this passage was written a couple of thousand years ago, but I think it still really rings true today. I'll just remind you of um, verses 9 to 10. It says, those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the, grief, uh, from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul is often misquoted here. It's not that he says money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the problem. And whatever we love most in this world is going to have a really powerful hold over us. It's going to control the way we think. It's going to control the actions we take. And as Paul warns us, there can be really devastating consequences to that. And despite a lot of evidence to the contrary, a lot of people still believe today that money is a source of all happiness, or at least one of the top ones. I heard a stat um, a while ago, and I recently heard Julia Manda, um, who heads up our money advice team, quote it as well. So I'm going to assume that it's legit, even though I'm afraid I can't quite remember the source of it, apart from Julian. Um, and that stat is, that if you ask anybody what their ideal income is, um, they will give you a number that is about 10% higher than what they currently have coming in, no matter who they are, no matter what they have each month. We all have this craving to have just a little bit more. And when we reach that point, we just want a little bit more again. We're not satisfied. Before I move on, I just want to pause for a moment and, and make a distinction here between needs and wants. And actually, Paul does that himself in verse 8. He says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And a survey at the end of May found that just over a third of UK adults are financially distressed. That means they're planning to cut back across all or most of their non-essential spending. And as a church, we have a collective responsibility to make sure that the needs of our community are met. But I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's not talking about our needs. He's talking about that, that craving for more, our wants. We might have all we need to live, but let ourselves become anxious and discontent about what we merely want. And when I look at my own life, I can see where my heart craves a little bit more, where I want a new phone or a better laptop that doesn't run slow. I'd quite like some um, newer clothes or maybe a slightly fancy holiday. I'd like to buy my kids some more stuff. And it goes on and on, doesn't it? It snowballs. And again, looking at our social media culture, more often than not, I think it inflates those desires. 
I, um, I used to work in social media for about 10 years. I worked in social media marketing and I was kind of completely absorbed in um, the world of Facebook and Instagram and everything. And um, I used to regularly have a bit of a digital detox where I just switch off at least all my personal accounts, even if I couldn't do it for my professional ones, um, and just take a bit of a break from it. And what I found after doing this several times is that actually, especially when it came to Instagram, I just felt a lot more at peace, a lot more relaxed and content um, and less anxious when I wasn't on it. And I made the decision several years ago that that was it. I was just going to take myself off Instagram altogether. Whether that's permanent or not, I don't know, but for now it is. And I'm not at all suggesting that you need to do that. Please don't hear me that that's the takeaway from this morning. But it did make me think about... Um, can we all reflect on what it is that is feeding those desires in us? What is feeding that desire to want to have more? And is there a way in which we can control um, or stop its hold over us? Paul says in verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. And what he's saying here is don't be fooled by this world into thinking that money is what it's all about. Ultimately, material things cannot satisfy us, but we can be content if we look to Jesus to provide for our needs and trust him with our wants. And if we remember that actually our direction of travel is towards something that is so much greater than what this world has to offer, something that unlike our material possessions, we can take with us at the end of this life. Now, having introduce these kind of two warnings from Paul, these two things that he's telling us to flee or run away from. I just kind of want to bring those two threads together. On the one hand, there's this warning against an over-reliance on our own minds, on conflict and quarrels. And on the other hand, there's this warning about an over-reliance on our own pockets, on our finances, on relying too heavily on money and material things. And I think, actually, these both stem from the same thing, they both stem from lacking a vision of Jesus. And when we lack a vision of Jesus, our own ideas and opinions become king. It's about how convincing we are, about whether we can get people over to our point of view. Even when I was prepping this talk, you know, I had thoughts at the back of my mind, I wonder if this will be good enough, I wonder if people will remember it. Will I say something wrong? Will I stumble over my words? And I was dependent on myself and being anxious about how it reflects on me rather than looking to Jesus and asking him to speak through, through me and just being willing to be used by him. And actually, as we invite Jesus in to correct that false belief in ourselves, there's a peace and a lightness that comes flooding in, releasing us from that worry of being impressive and releasing us into being able to serve him more fully. And when we lack a vision of Jesus in our approach to money, we forget that he is our provider we look to ourselves and the world to meet our needs, rather than relying on a father who knows everything we need before we even ask for it. There are a couple of verses in Psalm 119, which I think bring these threads together quite well. Um, verse 36 to 38 says, Give me an eagerness for your laws, rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things, and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. And just as I wrap up, let's just look back at that word that Paul uses in verse 11. He says, flee from these things, run away from these things. 
Paul often uses quite active and forceful words to describe the Christian life, like run, pursue, fight, hold tightly. And a lot of those words we're going to be looking at over the course of this summer. My study Bible said this. It said, some people think Christianity is a passive religion waiting for God to act. But we must have an active faith, obeying God with courage and doing what we know is right. So today, what action might God be asking you to take this morning to flee from those dangers of over-reliance on ourselves? How can you actively depend on Jesus and his teaching more fully? Maybe for you, it's about going back to the Bible. Uh, Maybe there's been some false teaching or false ideas about God that have been feeding your mind. Go back to the Word and, and read what God has to say about you. And Psalms 139 is a really good place to start for that. Or maybe you're aware that there's something in you that enjoys a bit of a conflict, that likes to comment in a debate, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Maybe you could ask God to check your motivation in those situations, to be approaching discussions with a spirit of love and openness to other people. Maybe you're finding that a love of money is getting in the way of your relationship with God at the moment, that you're distracted by things rather than Jesus. Is there something in your life that is feeding those desires uh, and that love of material things? And is there a way to limit its power over you? And lastly, maybe money has already caused problems in your life. Paul talked about money causing ruin and destruction and griefs. Come and talk to somebody today. And we do have an incredible money advice team here at church, if that is relevant and if you would like to talk to someone confidentially. I often find that the first step in releasing something's hold over me is to bring it into the light. It's a scary step, but it can also be amazingly liberating. So if anything from this morning has spoken to you, whether through the worship or the talk or at any point, please come and find someone. We're going to have a prayer team at the back of church this morning, or you might just want to talk to someone you've come with or email us later on. But do find someone to talk to and to stand with you in this. And next week, we'll be continuing this passage in 1 Timothy. And having done kind of the the gloomy side of things, let's be honest, and hearing about the problems that the church of Ephesus faced um, and that we can face today, we're going to be looking ahead at what we can be pursuing and chasing after instead. So sorry if this has been a bit of a downer this morning, but there is good news coming. So do stick with us for the next part of the story. And I'm just going to pray as the band comes back up and we respond.